Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, 92.9thegame.com. We are college football overtime after a second week of just crazy football. College football is back, and I love it, and it makes me feel so good. We just saw some wacky things on the football field. <laughs> Abe Gordon, what do you see, man? Uh, yeah, wacky is certainly an interesting term for it, but uh, I saw a couple teams not perform the way I expected them to. And I saw a couple teams that maybe did. It's a couple teams that I had questions about, maybe solidified some of the positioning that other people may have on them. Uh, and, yeah, we'll, we'll dive into it. But uh, uh, as you mentioned, two weeks of college football now, not counting week zero, and uh, it has delivered. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, we've seen some absolutely insane football. And, honestly, the biggest thing for me, we got to start with the University of Texas because these guys – go on the road, and not a single one of us picked Alabama to lose this game. In fact, we, we all three picked Alabama to kind of win this one, almost going away. Uh, I, I really thought that we were going to see a little bit more bully ball from the Crimson Tide, and, and we really didn't. Uh, in fact, it was the opposite. The, the rushing attack was not terribly effective. Um, it was kind of held in check pretty effectively by Texas, and credit to Sarkeesian and company because they go on the road and get by far – the most impressive win of the season that I've seen so far. Uh, they ended Alabama's 21-game home winning streak. Abe, what do you see from this one? Yeah, you know, we, we talked about it when we were doing game time, right? You brought up the point, and I, I followed up on that, of this game is going to be won on Alabama's offensive line if they could create the power run game, which they really didn't do, uh, and on Alabama's defensive line. Can they get to Quinn Ewers, which – they really didn't do. I mean, you're talking about 349 mm -hmm. yards. You're talking about three touchdowns. Another great point brought up uh, by you Saturday morning. I mean, the last how many quarterbacks that beat Alabama are either playing for a national championship in the Heisman ceremony or both. Is that where we're headed with Quinn Ewers? And when you look at the remaining schedule for Texas, when you look at an Oklahoma team that beat SMU over the weekend but was certainly not impressive, not in my eyes, I think right now, if you had to ask me among all of the teams in all of college football, any conference, who is the team right now today after week two most likely to end up in the college football playoff? I would not tell you it's Georgia because at least they have to go through an SEC schedule, although it's not the toughest, but also mm -hmm. an SEC tournament uh, title game. Texas has got no one in front of them. Uh, I don't buy any of the other teams in the Big 12 being better than Texas on a given day. It's really Texas against themselves. And that is what this win has done for them. It, 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 you know, I, I'm not saying they should be ranked number one. They mm -hmm. shouldn't. I don't think they're the best team in the country. But in terms of most likely to run the rest of the way, it actually might be Texas over Florida State, over Georgia, over anyone out west, over Ohio State, Michigan. It might be Texas that that – I, I'd be least surprised to see one of those final four bids going to them. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think Texas is is looking very good. And I know that both of us picked Texas to make the college football playoff. I know both the, the, both of those predictions are looking very good, especially after what they did last week. And, and I, I got to say, Quinn Ewers had the game of his life. 349 yards passing, three touchdown passes, six plays of 30-plus yards. Five of those six plays came in the second half. Abe, this offense was clicking on all cylinders. I know we talked about our, our our players of the week that we were expecting to have big days, and I talked about Xavier Worthy in particular. It was the it was other guy. Plus, A.D. Mitchell. 
Yeah. Katie Mitchell is just the time killer. Um, th- th- these guys, they just did what they needed to do on offense and, and they got the big play. Um, and I, we talked about that specifically when we broke down this game and diagnosed what was going to be happening. We said, if Quinn Ewers and company get yeah. the big play, they got a great shot at winning this football game. And, and look, they did. And Alabama, th- they looked sloppy again. They really did. I mean, la- I, I know we talked about it on the show. We, I, they had a hundred yards of penalties last year. I don't know what it was just off the top of my head right now, but they had some very critical ones. I know Jermaine Burton had two touchdowns called back. He ended up with a third, uh, which would ironically just his first of the game because the other two were called back on penalties. And it, they could have had 40 yards of penalties, but they the timing of these penalties were about as bad as they could have hoped uh, they could have worried about. You know, it's it was a bad performance from Alabama. And I know we talked about the pressure that a Nick Saban would be feeling after this game. And I think it's warranted because they looked sloppy. They were just the same sloppy team that we saw last year. And they're not improving. And Jalen Milrow, I, I mean, everybody overreacted, myself included, to what we saw against Middle Tennessee State because we thought, look, he had, what, five touchdowns in that first game? He looked poised in the pocket. He looked like he can make the short to intermediate passing uh, work later on, like throughout the season, and it didn't. And it bit him because once, once the rushing attack went away for Alabama and they got into a hole, they looked like a team that just can't come out of it. Yeah, to your first point, 10 penalties for 90 yards. Yeah, there uh, it is. Which, yeah, that's not there. The other aspect of this, which is basically directly on Milrow, two turnovers, uh, none for Texas. And, and that's going to turn that game around right and there. zero sacks. Yeah, and, zero. and, you know, I tweeted this out. Milrow had a very bad pick early on, just didn't see a guy, and, mm-hmm. and, and that was that. It looked like he lost confidence in himself at that point, and I, I was talking, you know, I was tweeting it out. I don't know if they need a quarterback change at halftime. I didn't think they would, but should it have been considered? Maybe. Will it be considered moving forward? Because Jalen Milrow – He's not leading this team to a national championship. Like, I don't know how difficult the road back is for Alabama. Obviously, you get through the SEC West. If you're able to win that, you you get to the SEC title game, which at this point now with this loss, you would then have to win to be in. And so Jalen Milrow just didn't look to be it. And it was interesting because something changed midway, you know, late in the third quarter and into the fourth quarter because we were texting – you know, we have our college football game time group chat, you, me, and John Fricking. We were texting, and the comments from uh, multiple of us were, were kind of similar, and it didn't feel like either of these teams were powerhouses. It felt like no. a sloppy game on both sides. It picked up late, and Texas got the better of it, as you said. That was a really impressive performance to go on the road, you know, Sarkeesian versus Sabin, uh, you know, all the scenarios, all, all, all of that stuff. To go on the road and pick up a 10-point win, which, I mean, a day later, it barely even feels like it was that close. Like, I'm trying to think back, and it just – it felt like once Texas got control, it, it was over. And I know Alabama actually took the lead there for a second. They did. Uh, it was short-lived, obviously, and, and Texas rolled from there. But th- this just did not feel like an Alabama team that is national championship worthy. Um, now, I don't know if Texas is either, but uh, they obviously got out with the win and will take that step forward. Yeah, and that is the first non-conference game that Nick Saban has lost at home 
since 2007. 2007. Yeah. That was the longest poll, longest streak of wins at home in the AP poll history. 53 games. It's just an incredible historic night for Steve Sarkeesian in Texas. Last one on this one, and then we'll move on. Is Nick Saban losing his touch? No, I, I, I don't think that's a fair question to, to grade him on. I think he okay. missed on a quarterback. And I really am not sure it's that much more complicated you know, when we talked about Dabo Sweeney and if his run at Clemson, you know, he's handling it different, right? He, he's he got these yeah. tenant poles that he's sticking to in regards to the NIL and the trans. Nick Saban is adjusting as need be. I think you miss on a quarterback, though, and it sets your program back. We've seen it at, at, at multiple schools, including Clemson, before the transfer portal became a thing. There was still a quarterback issue, you know, since Trevor Lawrence left. You miss on quarterbacks, and it just falls off the cliff. And I think, unfortunately, at least in my opinion, through two weeks, that's what's happened to Alabama right now. Yeah, and it's certainly not something that Alabama can not recover from. I, I think they will they should be just fine. Yeah, but there's in, no uh, way out this year. I mean, unless you really like one of those backups, they can recover down the road, I agree. But there's no way out mm-hmm. this year. You may be stuck. You might be. You might be. Yeah. But, I mean, you've got three quarterbacks on the roster who – uh, I, I think can potentially get it done, especially when you're not facing an all-world offense that's led by Quinn Ewers, who goes <laughs> for 350 yards and yeah. two NFL-level wide receivers on the outside, not to mention well, the, the tight end and the running back and the and everybody else. I mean, it's an extremely talented Texas offense, and you're not always going to be facing a team like that. And look, the front seven showed up in a big way. I don't know if Alabama's going to have to face a team like that for the rest of the season outside of maybe one of the teams that we're about to talk about. Uh, a team that also looked pretty bad. Texas A&M travels to Miami and loses probably one of the ugliest games of the year so far from from a team who I expected a lot more from, frankly. Uh, I expected them to go in to Miami, to Coral Gables, and actually put up a fight. And Miami just outclassed them. And I saw two good quarterbacks. I saw two competent offenses but I saw one defense that had a pulse and one that did not know up from down, left from right. And that's Texas A&M. And there's way too much talent on that defense to be just sort of pushed around like that. Tyler Van Dyke finishes the day with five touchdowns, 374 yards through the air. DJ Durkin, the defensive coordinator, uh, that's, a, that's a shaky seat that he's on right now because that, that defense is uber talented and there's no reason – that he needs to be giving up 48 points on the – I don't care if you're on the road. Abe, what would you say? Yeah, it, it was weird uh, it, because it, that was another game where it felt like it was t- trending in one direction and then it just completely flipped uh, yeah. for, for Texas A&M and Miami completely took control. It, it's almost uh, – not in, in the way the game played out itself, but almost a, a, a mirror image of what I saw with Jordan Travis. Jordan Travis, to me – at Florida State week one was a quarterback that had to prove it. I came in thinking in week two, I don't know if I'm buying Tyler Van Dyke. And like you said, five touchdowns later, I think he's taken that step and he's proven it as well. There's a lot of speed on that team. There's a lot of talent on that team. Uh, And he let those guys cook uh, in in a big way. And Restrepo, obviously six for 120. uh, They, you know, didn't have any of the five touchdowns, but – uh, he led the way there for the receiving court for Van Dyke. And, 
Yeah, it, it, it felt comfortable for Miami, too. It didn't feel like they were scared or or intimidated at all by Texas A&M. And that was kind of what I was waiting to see. And like you said, that front from Texas A&M, they, they made sure to showcase it at the start of the game. Like, look at these big dudes. They're all going to be draft picks and all that. Yeah. I didn't see it, man. It didn't, it didn't change the game. It didn't have the impact. Um, and, and again, it's just a week after we took FSU out of this discussion, now Alabama's taken a, a pretty bad loss. And, and Texas A&M joins LSU in that group, too. And it's like, I don't know who in the SEC West is good or great or bad, um, but I don't see any of these teams really stepping up, uh, given the chances that they've had. LSU didn't step up. Alabama didn't step up. Texas A&M didn't step up. I know there's a couple of schools that are, you know, still potentially could do so. Yeah. Um, but but for for a group of teams that we said – the SEC, I mean, how many years in a row have we said the SEC West is the toughest single division, not conference, but single division in football? And it's because this team's going to be a top five and this team's going to be top seven and this team's the national. I don't know if we have that. You know, the way that Texas A&M, Alabama and LSU have looked over the past two weeks, I don't know if we have that level of quality right now. You still mm-hmm. have depth. Right, because you have the Arkansas and the Auburn. There's still a mid, uh, you know, a mid group that's strong. I don't know about the top anymore. Uh, and, and long story short, over the course of the season, that's <clears> going to make it a little bit easier for Georgia in terms of an SEC title game against the team that, quite frankly, isn't on the level the way that teams have been on their level in recent years. Yeah, and going back to what we what we just discussed with Alabama, if you want to loop Georgia into this, it's it's just. I don't see a team that can compete with them. And I know we're going to get into our takeaways uh, once we finish this up, but just as a teaser, I don't know if there's anybody who can compete with Georgia in the SEC right now, uh, but we'll, we'll save that here for, for a well, little bit later. Let's look but, that for a second and go to the ACC as well, because yeah. you have Florida state who, who's now at least for the moment jumped Clemson. I know they'll figure that out in two weeks when they play each other, but where's Miami now in this discussion? Because this is a really good win. It's not just let's not just focus on the SEC thing and yeah, Texas and Alabama LSU losing. This is another step forward for an ACC that is quickly jumping up the charts in terms of the overall conference. Again, they may not have anyone at the tippy top. Maybe Florida State is, but there's a lot of really good quality teams, and Miami jumps at least for the moment into that discussion, they may be the second best team. I don't know if it's Clemson or Duke, mm-hmm. UNC, but I, I think Miami is now in that discussion based on what we saw. You, you, you probably like what they have in terms of offensive playmakers. And, and if they can get that defense cooked up like they did uh, in the fourth quarter there against Texas A&M, I, who knows how far Miami could go. So it's, it's the SEC taking a step back. But at the same time, based on the two ACC's SEC matches, the big ones, I'm not talking about North Carolina, South Carolina, which was nice, but I'm talking about Florida State and, and, and now Miami. It, it's a big step forward for the ACC to win these two games. Absolutely. And honestly, Connor Wegman, Bobby Petrino, that combination is going to be pretty good. And I know things are, aren't really looking great for Jimbo Fisher's team just on the win-loss column. But you know what? Connor Wegman is, is going to be cooking in that offense led by Bobby Petrino and 336 yards, 
on Saturday. He had uh, three total touchdowns. He did have two interceptions. I don't blame him for either of them necessarily. He's He had the one where uh, the wide receiver slips. I think it was Anaya Smith slipped on the yeah. play. And then you have yeah. another one as the clock is is kind of winding down and it's the, the game's kind of out of hand at that point. But uh, ultimately, it, it's a bad loss for the SEC. And they didn't look very good in general. And I wasn't too happy with them in just in general. So I was expecting a little bit more from Texas A&M, specifically that defense. But moving into, because we did talk about the SEC West and the levels that they have. Uh, Ole Miss, I think that they established themselves pretty effectively in this game. They looked strong on the road against Tulane, a good Tulane team. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to say that it's not the same level of opponent as like a Miami or even a, or a Texas, especially Texas. But look, it's an out of a strong out of conference opponent. And Ole Miss went over to New Orleans and took care of business. Uh, Jackson Dart had himself a, a pretty strong afternoon, but Lane Kiffin comes away with a win. And, and uh, what did you see from the Rebels? It was an interesting game flow because it was very competitive, and then it just wasn't. Uh, you're talking yeah. about 20 points in the fourth quarter for Ole Miss, and uh, you know this is a Tulane team, and we talked about it. Uh, their 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 normal starting quarterback was out. Uh, Kai Horton had to go for him, uh, who's not bad. He he's seen some real big time action uh, in his time there, uh, and so. You look, you get this game at home, crowd is ramped up, and they were. I mean, it was big time. And and Ole Miss gets an immediate score. Uh, a defender slipped, and, and a guy takes it in. And you're like a minute into this game. You're like, this thing could get away from us real quick. It actually went the other way. Tulane calmed down and got some control of this game. And I actually thought Tulane had a real good handle on things. And then just out of nowhere, and that's when you talk about Lane Kiffin and the offense and Jackson Dart, and things cooking, and it turned over in a hurry. This is a very good win for Ole Miss. Forget about the names. Just remember what Tulane did last year to a couple teams who they brought. I know they lost some guys, but who they brought back, they were ranked for a reason. I know preseason mm-hmm. rankings and week one rankings are a little bit uh, iffy, but but they were there for a reason. I think they showed the game why. They were a quality side. Um, and as, again, while we focus on the as Texas A&M takes a step back, as LSU takes a step back, where exactly is Ole Miss fit into that discussion? Even Alabama takes that step back. Uh, they look as dangerous as anyone else in the SEC West. So, that's just something to keep an eye on. I, I thought this was a pretty good win, uh, and now they've got a chance to roll a couple more in a row. Uh, obviously, you know, coming to Tech uh, this next coming week, you know, they, they can really keep cooking that offense and really ramp it up before diving heavy into the SEC schedule. Yeah, and, and this is also a game. You talked about how it was a game that was close until it wasn't. Yeah. We're talking about under five minutes to play yeah. in this ball game, and all of a sudden it's – it's 20 to 17. Ole Miss has a lead. And then all of a sudden it's not. And they run away with this late in this game. And, and the thing, the biggest thing that I saw is Ole Miss's offense showed up on a day where the rushing attack did it. And they only, they finished it with 89 yards on the ground. Quinchon Judkins well, didn't really get a lot going. And, and they weren't really, they didn't have a lot of run, running lanes to get into. Uh, I will say they win this game with fewer than 100 yards rushing, if you had told me before that they only got 89 yards on the ground, I would have told you they would have lost this football game. But credit to them because, obviously, they powered through and got a big win. Um, 
Ole Miss, as far as where they are in the pecking order of the SEC West, I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation as we move into the rest of the season. I know they have Georgia Tech at home. Uh, that's not a, game, a team that you can necessarily sleep on, especially as you move into. I don't know who their their, their opponent is after that. Is it might be Alabama? Well, that's generally where they the, the yeah that, that's within. That's where it ramps up. It's at Alabama so, right yeah. after Tech. So, but they shouldn't have too much of a problem when Georgia Tech comes into town. Uh, don't sleep on them, but this is a team that they should they should win going away. Uh, I know I cover the Jackets, but they, we we'll can see be what honest. they can actually they can do. Be honest. <laughs> I can be honest here. It's going to be a difficult contest for the Yellow Jackets in that one. But look, I, I think Ole Miss winning when the rushing attack doesn't work. I think we learned something about Lane Kiffin and company in that offense. Uh, yeah, I mean, are they better than LSU? Are they better than Texas A&M? Are they better than maybe like an Arkansas or Mississippi state, other teams who got wins today or last, last night. I don't know yet. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting rest of the way for the sec West. I mean, we talked about it a lot. I mean, how does it shape out? I think there are a lot of good teams over there, but is there a great team who's really going to separate themselves? I think we're going to learn that, but speaking of great teams, separating themselves, the pac 12 has just enjoyed an incredible start to their season. And Colorado has been the biggest story of them all. Uh, Deion Sanders and company have their home opener. They rush the field after dominating Nebraska and Jeff Sims. They, they got to get this guy a counselor or something. They got to figure something out because he is seeing ghosts and he is not playing very well. He's not playing very well. I think he's what eight quarters and six turn seven turnovers. It's been bad for Nebraska, but they go on the road and they get blasted 36 to 14 against Colorado. Abe, what do you see in this one? Well, uh, look, uh, I'm going to be a little bit harsher. Uh, you know, the, the, this score was a comfortable win, but the game was an uncomfortable watch. It was very ugly. They did not have much going on until Nebraska provided them a little offense towards the end of the first half. Th this, I think, was a good wake-up call for, for Colorado, though, for Deion Sanders, for Shadur Sanders, certainly for Travis Hunter, who was much less effective in this game. Uh, he did, uh, did still have 73 uh uh, yards on three catches, but no touchdowns, didn't get an interception, did defend a couple passes. I, I think this is just a, a realization that it's not going to come as easy as things did in week one, even offensively. Uh, I, I think it was a nice time for them to play a Nebraska team that has no offense, uh, you know. And, and look, they're going to move to 3-0, and okay? They're, they're going to beat Colorado State next week. Uh, but then they're playing Oregon and SC back-to-back. Uh, and I may have that flipped. It might be SC and Oregon. I don't, I don't remember specifically, but um, I think it's Oregon they're going to get SC. a wake up call. Yeah, they're 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 going to get a wake up call, uh, and it's going to come harsh. But I actually think this was a a nice um, kind of snap to reality because they they really did struggle in this game, and and whatever mm -hmm. happened for Dion and Shador in the second half, they they did get it cooking, and that's a good step forward. Um, but it was interesting. It was interesting to see the energy and the crowd. And then what I felt was a flat team uh, halfway, you know, halfway through the second quarter. Um, and, and it was one of those. It's not going to be as easy as it was a week ago against TCU. But that's why you have halftime adjustments and second half happen. Uh, but I, I think this was a good realization for a number of guys that it, it, it's a long season. Not everything's going to go as smooth as it did in week one, but this is a good win 
for a team that look they've doubled their win total from a year ago. They're, they're going to triple it. I you know they're probably beating Colorado State. I would imagine. And then yeah, it gets tough, but there's some wins. There's some chances to win some games in there as well. So uh, it'll be real interesting to see how this plays out for the rest of the season. But uh, yeah, I, I was a little disappointed uh, with how it started, and then they they righted that ship pretty quick in the second half. Yeah, and and this is not as much a game where Colorado is just overwhelmingly the better team. It's just that Nebraska just kept giving this game away. Uh, yeah. I talked about Jeff Sims. It, it's hard to really encapsulate how bad of a performance this was. And I'm not trying to bury on the kid. I just, no, it's not. I'm not trying to it's kick not. him when he's down. But <laughs> at the same time, it's like this, this was just a brutal performance. And I'm, on the flip side, Shadur Sanders had another pretty strong yeah. performance. 393 yeah, yards, two scores in this one. I, I know he did his dad's dance when he hit the end zone. Um <laughs> I mean, the, the jury's still out on, on who dances better, Shadur or Dion. But look, it's everyone's dancing in Boulder, Colorado, because the money is flying in from the boosters and the fan support is at an all-time high. Uh, but this Colorado defense still gave up 341 yards of total offense to a rather hapless Nebraska offense who we saw two weeks ago on, in the opening game on Thursday night. Uh it, it, the offense is not very good, and this is two weeks in a row where a not very good offense is able to kind of pick up some steam against Colorado. And I know it's not going to matter a lot in these first two games because you dominate your opponent. You're just better than they are. It's going to happen again next week when you're just better than your opponent. Colorado State is yeah. going to come into to Boulder, and it's just going to be kind of an embarrass, embarrassment. They're just going to keep rolling. Um, but there's a reason – college game day is going week three and not waiting for week four or week five. It's because look, you got to strike where the iron's hot. And then when they go into Oregon and when they go into, to, to, to play it, the, the Trojans at USC, it's going to be a rude way to wake up call. And I know that people have been saying that for the last two weeks, uh, those two teams are on a much different level than the two teams that you have played so far this season. I, I, I want to see what they can do in that, in those kinds of environments when they're on the road in those hostile environments with championship pedigree on the other sideline, like a Bo Nix or a Caleb Williams, like one of those two guys, it's going to be kind of tough. Them versus a Travis Hunter, I think is going to be much what must watch television. Uh, it's going to be another great day for college football, but keeping it in the, in the pack 12, uh, I do want to continue our conversation with Washington state, uh, a team who look, it's hard to go over there to Washington State and win a football game. It makes it a lot harder when you have a quarterback who looks as rusty as, as Tanner Mordecai did. Uh, it looks like they, they had a slew of turnovers, uh, but they just weren't able to get it all put together. Uh, what do you see in this one, Abe? Yeah, uh, you know, I was on this one uh, early. I, I mm. was not surprised by, by how this thing played out. I, you know, a lot of people talk about – I mean, there's a lot of really good Pac-12 quarterbacks to talk about, and rightfully so. Um, but Cameron Ward at Washington State is part of that group. I, I mean, he, he threw for 212 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, also led the team in rushing with 43 yards. It, it, this yeah. is, like you said, a tough place to go and play. The defense ramped up. Uh, but the biggest issue is that Wisconsin, traditionally known – for what they do on the ground, mm -hmm. wasn't able to get it going. Uh, no one uh, topped 50 yards uh, for the Badgers. And, and for 
you you know you mentioned Tanner Mordecai had 15 incompletions, uh, was only able to throw for one touchdown. That's just not going to get it done when you go on to the road against a Power Five opponent in a, in a at a weird time. And uh, it, it wasn't. It, it was just one of those things. And it's so difficult to judge who. I mean, I know we're portraying good, bad, not sure. We don't know when you're dealing with one week of of a sample size, we don't know really how good Wisconsin is. And they were ranked in the top 20. And it was like, now you've got how many big, big 10 teams ranked at beheaded? Are they really in this group? And I, I didn't buy it. I, I didn't see what I've seen out of them in recent years. And um, yeah, that, that's kind of what happened on in this one. It just, they, they're not the team that they have been They're They're going to get mm-hmm. jumped by, a couple teams in the Big Ten, and look, it's Luke Fickle's first year. I think I think you're okay. I think you're allowed to take a, a minor step back before you. I mean, look, long term, I love Luke Fickle. I think this is. I do too. But right now, it's just not where it needs to be for him to to take the next step towards catching a Penn State, a Michigan, an Ohio State. They're not there right now. No, no, not not really. I don't think they're they're in those the same breath. Truthfully, as as those the three that you just mentioned, those are the class of the Big Ten yeah. right now, um, and they're just a, a, a couple of steps above the the Big Ten West. But as far as competition within the Big Ten West, I still think that I know Iowa had a had a nasty nasty game, <laughs> like they always tend to do whenever they play the Cyclones. But um, between Wisconsin and, uh, and and Iowa, I think those are your two teams in the West. And I, I, the rest of it's just kind of okay. Like, I mean, Nebraska, we just talked about them. Not a great performance again this week. And you have Minnesota, who's just sort of sloppy. Uh, it's just another one of these situations where, where these guys are just a, a couple of steps below their Eastern counterparts. Uh, yeah. And, and Wisconsin was on their heels this whole game. I know, I know Washington State loves that up-tempo attack. Uh, but the Wisconsin, I assumed, was going to be able to to have more of a defensive showing in this game, and it doesn't help when you have a quarterback who loses two fumbles. Yeah, you know, it's just not a, a good spot to be in, and, and they didn't really get much of a chance. But it's it just more also just like a credit to what the Pac-12 has done early in the season. I know I, I mentioned that they were the first conference to go what thirteen and zero, I think I said, and then they, they extended it to eighteen and zero, and now they're eight, like what nineteen and two. I believe, or 20 and two, something like that in their first two weeks. And it's just something very impressive. They've looked very good as a conference and Washington state. I don't know if they're going to be one of the teams that's going to be in there when it's all said and done. Uh, I still think that they are not really that team, but one team that I am going to be looking at, I'm looking at Oregon and Oregon goes on the road almost drops it to Texas Tech. And that was just a, an ugly game, but they survive 38-30. Bo Nix actually ends up finishing with a pretty strong day. Uh, Abe, what you, you say? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I was, they, they, again, this goes back to the one-week sample size. Texas Tech loses an abysmal game a week ago, but they, they get back mm-hmm. home and they are playing outstanding. And Oregon needed a late field goal. Uh, and then, you know, I obviously the score is a little misleading. They got a late, 
defensive touchdown on an interception as Texas Tech was trying to drive the field with under a minute left. So uh, it was really a one-point game here. Uh, it better be damned because um, <laughs> people who had Texas Tech are not happy with what, how that played out. But, um, uh, it, it, you know, at this point, it's survive in advance. Don't worry about how it looks. Don't worry about the rankings because it's all in front of you. For, for any of these Pac-12 teams who, who end up in a situation like Oregon did, where I don't know if you don't have your best uh, that day. I mean, you, the offense was cooking decently, but the defense uh, you would have thought could have held up a little bit better than they did. Um, but just get the win and escape, especially anytime it's a road game in conference uh, or, or out of conference, a big, you know, big 12 team there, but um, j- just get the win. And, and that's what they did. And uh, they'll keep trucking forward. They, they've got a long season ahead of them with a lot of quality opponents in that Pac-12. Um, but Bo Nix, uh, I, I think, does continue on that on that trajectory of could this guy be a Heisman finalist? Uh, you know, obviously, you're going to have to have a pretty good team that wins a lot of games. Uh, Three hundred and what fifty nine yards uh, in this one. So that's that's. That's going to keep them in that discussion. Only two touchdowns, but uh, still still undefeated team there, and, and he's leading the way. Hey, it's survive and get through to week three. Get through to the next week. Like you said, I mean, you go on the road and, and you play a team, on the, like a, a out-of-conference opponent on the road, just survive and get on to the next week. It's, it's not as much about winning pretty as it is just getting yeah. through unscathed because as long as they continue to do that, they're going to give themselves a chance when we get down the road to these, to the actual playoff rankings and everything else that uh, that's when it really matters, you know, and then you get into conference schedule where it's, it's going to be a, a very like full, very full conference uh, over there in the pac 12. And they got half the teams ranked half the teams, do, in, the eight, are ranked teams right are ranked in this top yeah. 25. This, yeah. I mean, talk about a curtain call for the pac 12 conference. I mean, this is, I can't think of a better way for, for that conference to go out. And they, they are must-watch television. Yeah. Must-watch television right now because they are – But it's so just, late, Garrett. It's, it's so, so late. late I know. We were so talking earlier today. that Auburn-Cal game was tough to stay awake for. So It was brutal. It was brutal. But <laughs> if I'm looking at Oregon, though, if I'm if I'm trying to, to, to grow Dan Lanning and company, the defense has to be better. Yeah. I know you're on the road and you're in a hostile environment and everything else and – you got to, the defense has to improve, but the biggest thing, penalties, penalties. So you have what, 480 yards allowed. And then you have another hundred or so yards of penalties. That is the biggest yeah, thing. 124, 124 on 14 penalties. Ooh, like, I'm sorry. It, you have 124 yards and penalties alone. You're handing away the keys to a championship season. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, Oregon is, is fully capable of, of making some magic happen down the road. They got to clean up the, the penalties because if you have penalties like that, you're not going to survive a very talented Big to- Pac-12 conference. Honestly, the only way they survived this game is they won the turnover battle for nothing. Uh, I, I mean, you you're you're in a game where you're trailing with two minutes left or whatever it was before they kicked their final field goal to take a 31-30 lead. Mm-hmm. You were trailing it, it, under two minutes, winning the turnover battle for nothing. I I, I mean, it, it's astonishing that it was this close. Maybe it's a situation where it's a little misleading, uh, but you you had to really bite and claw at the end just to get the win when you when you won the turnover battle for nothing. This is it's good that you did get the win and you do move forward, but 
like you said, you, you've got to be much cleaner than that. You've got to be. Yeah. And, and talking about a clean performance, Notre Dame traveling to Raleigh, North Carolina and putting on a show, uh, 17 to seven halftime score, 45, 24 is your final score. Quarterback Sam Hartman finishes this game with 286 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, I, I gotta say, I mean, if the season ends right now, Sam Hartman is in New York. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, assuming we're taking the whole group, then sure. He, he's certainly in that discussion. It seems like every time he's playing, he's got four touchdowns. And this Feels one like was it. a weird one because it was very competitive early. You had this weird rain delay. Uh, Notre Dame breaks it open right after uh, literally the first play after the rain delays, an 80-yard touchdown run. And, and there was no looking mm-hmm. back from there it looked like it was going to be competitive I, I thought this was a game you know i singled this one out on saturday morning I thought this is a game we could learn something about notre dame and, and i think i did and, and, and i think that it is they are creeping towards that discussion um the discussion that we were having with florida state the discussion that we were having yeah. with texas the discussion that we we're having with six pac 12 teams and with georgia and with three big 10 teams they are in that group of Start looking now, depending on how things play out, they could be in the playoffs come come December. So mm-hmm. uh, th- this, I thought, was a good win to go on the road against the ACC team. Uh, again, not the toughest AC opponent uh, possible, but uh, like no you slouch. said. No, it, it's it's you can learn something, and, and mm-hmm. we did. And that's that Sam Hartman is not just putting up numbers against bumps. He's, he's getting it done in a real game uh, and, and – yeah, he is on the short list of the Heisman watch at this point in the season. No doubt about it. Absolutely. And Brennan Armstrong had a game to forget, two touchdowns, but three interceptions. Didn't really give NC State much of a chance in this one. But I will say Notre Dame, as long as they continue playing these ACC opponents, it'll, it, it sounds like it's going to be – it's been a good agreement. I know they had that agreement <laughs> back in 2020 uh, during the COVID season because, of course, everybody, everything just got all out of control that college football season. But since then, they have won 29 straight games scheduled in the regular season against the ACC as a whole. And, and I mean, let me tell you, it's been about as good as possible for those guys. But let's flip, let's flip it back out, out west, as Utah and Baylor. I know that when we, t- we went around the nation on Saturday, I talked about Dave Aranda and company, about how they, they lose an embarrassing game at home in week one but that you should not sleep on them week two. I, I know that this defense is strong, and Dave Aranda, as long as he's around there, that defense is going to be showing up ready to play. And Utah had them on, or was on the ropes yeah. in this game, and, and it wasn't up until the final minutes that they, Utah was actually able to put this game away or actually get the game-winning touchdown to, to eventually win it 20-13. to 13. Baylor had as many chances to win this game as anybody else. Yeah, Utah had to score two touchdowns in the final two minutes to uh, take this one. As you mentioned, they were down 13-6 yeah. heading into the fourth quarter and, and through 12 minutes and 59 seconds of the third fourth quarter. Uh, they were trailing before uh, they got a touchdown pass to tie it. Uh, they got a turnover uh, or, or whatever it was to get the ball back. I, I forget now so much happened there. and They take the lead, and then they actually – I mean, it was the ugly interception. It was that ugly interception with about a minute and a half to yeah. go. Yeah, and then you tell me that final play was that pass interference or not? I, 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 I thought maybe it was, uh, and maybe if it's a different part of the game, they do call that. But 
uh, it goes unchecked and and they get that win. But again, this was another one where there you speak about surviving advance like Oregon did. This is what they have to do at least until they get Cam Rising back, and they're not yeah. going to be the offense that they would like to be. Um, you know, if you have 20 points to get with Cam Rising, you'd be very disappointing. I think you'll take that right now. Uh, we'll see what the future holds for for him and if he's going to be back uh, next week. And we knew he'd miss the Florida game, uh, that opener on Thursday night. You thought maybe with 10 days of rest, nine days of rest, is there a chance he would go against Baylor? But he was ruled out pregame for that one as well. So uh, now, now you're starting to keep your eye on Utah, who was the top 15 team, and they've got to get him back. Yeah, they've got Weber State next week. Uh, they'll take care of business there. But – uh, then they've got three of their next four games after Weber State in week three, a ranked UCLA team, a ranked Oregon State team. They play Cal and then a ranked USC team and a ranked Oregon team. So four of their next five games after week three are, are going to be ranked opponents. They're going to need Cam Rising back if they have any chance of navigating that. Yeah, and honestly, if you had told me preseason that they were going to play their first two games against Florida and Baylor, Without Cam Rising and they're two and zero, I would have taken it. I would have taken it ten times. Yeah. I'm two and zero is two and zero, but to do it without it. Cam Rising says uh, that's a big deal. That's a big deal for the folks over there in Salt Lake City. And and look, I, I think that this is a team that continues to be underrated by everybody across the country. I know yeah. we've talked about Oregon, we've talked about uh, Oregon State, Colorado, USC, all of these other big programs. And we just consistently forget that little old Utah has dominated the Pac-12 over yeah. the last couple of years. Yeah, they've dominated, and I think we've we're starting to see it's, it's. And this is why it's because they can go and win a game where they dominate on offense against Florida, and then they can go back and and win a game where they get dominated for the majority of the game and still come out with a win. Like you have six points up until the final two three minutes of the game, and then you you drop fourteen points on there. And yes, I know you have that pass interference on the last play, but. You have to be able to win in a number of different ways. And Utah has consistently shown that they're able to do that. And that's that's coaching. That's coaching. And as long as they continue to have that coaching advantage, I think they're going to have a great shot in the Pac-12. Yeah, it, it's just one of those things where they they, they don't beat themselves. And, and they didn't yeah. in this Good game either. Um, and, and that is coaching. And Kyle Whittingham is one of the best in the country that, mm-hmm. that, that you're right, doesn't get the credit he, he probably – should be given, and, and it's been his choice to remain at Utah. I know there's been bigger jobs that have asked him if he's interested and polite decline and, and on we go. Credit to um, him. Yeah, sure. And, and you build a legacy and you build a program. But, um, boy, I mean, it's just this was a hard, hard-fought win. And, and for them to be moving onward, no matter who it was, where it was, how it was, uh, pretty impressive without a guy the quality of Cam Rising to rely on. Better to win ugly than not at all. Uh, and, and talking about somebody who won ugly, North Carolina in a game last year that was a 63-61 to 61 finish. It was just a thriller of a game. We were, <laughs> we're showing again. I know Andy Bunker was up there for this game. Uh, I know that App State folks are always happy when they can go on the road and get uh, kind of – causes the team that they're playing to have some heart palpitations and, and flutter a little bit. Uh, I don't know if North Carolina is going to want to schedule App State again anytime soon. They they end up 2-1 and one in their three-game series, I guess we'll call it, with North Carolina. Two of the th- – well, they lose one. 
They have the thriller last year, and then we have a double overtime finish on Saturday, 40-34. to 34. North Carolina looked like they were about to, to mess this game up. I don't know if you caught the final, the end of this game, where the you have a kicker lining up for a 35-38 yard field goal. Just shanks it, kills it. But the head coach of App State calls a timeout, and he gets another opportunity. And opportunity number two is probably uglier than opportunity number one. They go to overtime, and then this is where it happens. 40-34 to 34 is your final. Drake May and company look pretty good. I mean, granted, you're against the giant killer that's App State. Abe, what did you see? Yeah, I mean, look, you were, it was weird for UNC because you're heading into this game without British Brooks, but Amarion Hampton stepped up in a big way. Yeah. Uh, you know, you may maybe pencil him down for one-week wonders when we get to next Saturday because he had yeah. 234 yards, three touchdowns on 26 carries there uh, also added 10 uh through the air uh this was a game in which drake may threw no touchdowns i am very surprised by that i, I mm-hmm. if you had to ask me just at any point in the season will drake may put up an offer um i didn't think he would I, I thought he's good enough and they have enough squad around him um but yeah mac brown pretty much is like i think we're done with app state if they want to play nc state if they want to play north uh, east carolina that'd be great they're not getting on our schedule again. I don't really blame him for the way this has played itself out. Uh, unfortunate for App State to be so close yet again and, and fall yeah. short. Um, but, I mean, what a fun game uh, that was unfortunately for most hidden over on the ACC network. But I did I did catch it, and it was, uh, it was a wild back-and-forth affair uh, really through all the second half. It was really ramped up, and uh, it was a fun atmosphere. It, it really was. I mean, whenever App State goes on the road to somebody, you know it's going to be a fun game. I know we saw them take down Texas A&M last year. We almost saw them take down UNC. Yeah. Uh, those Sun Belt teams, man, that's a reason they call it the Fun Belt, and there's a reason that, generally speaking, you don't want to play them. Uh, yeah, you've got a lot of good teams over there in the Fun Belt, and, and App State is certainly one of them. And they had every opportunity in this game. They really did. I mean, Deshaun Davis, seven, 117 yards, a touchdown from him over at App State. I know that, or excuse me, there's the receiving, the receiver, excuse me. So like, look, it was a good game from them. I want to see a little bit more from North Carolina, just in general. I have expectations for them now. Uh, I don't know what your expectations are from them. Not this. No, I think you're right. Not this. But look, I I think that they're in that middle tier. We've talked a lot about where the tiers are in, in each of the power five conferences and North Carolina. I expect to be in that second tier in the ACC. The second tier team in the ACC doesn't do this. I don't care if you're playing App State. I don't care who you're playing. Yeah. You're playing a lower level opponent. You need to get the job done. They do get the job done, and it's sloppy. It's really sloppy. But I know you have the news with the Tez Walker. It, it turns out that they were going to do the opposite of what I expected. I thought that this was going to galvanize the bunch, and it looked like they were a little deflated more than anything. Uh, North, I expect more from North Carolina. I expect them to be able to get the job done down the road. I still think I'm still a believer in that offense. The defense did not show up in the way that I expected to after week one, where they bullied South Carolina with the nine sacks. But I think this is a good football team. I think they're going to give a lot of teams in the ACC a run for their money. Florida State, I don't know what the rest of their schedule looks like. I don't have it in front of me, but I think North Carolina is very much shaping up as one of the better teams in the ACC, but they can't get in their own way like they have in the past. Yeah, they're they're in that group, and I don't know if Clemson's quite that far down, but maybe they are. But Miami's certainly in that discussion. UNC mm-hmm. is in that discussion. 
um, you know, potentially Duke, uh, you, you know, I got to see them against a better quality opponent as well. Um, you know, I'm trying just to judge them off that one game against Clemson, and you never know who's good, who's bad, uh, or who yeah. just has a bad day. Uh, I tend to agree with you, though. Uh, this is a UNC team that's ranked in the top 20, and they need to handle business a little bit easier than this. Now, it's still early in the season. You're still working out a couple kinks. Maybe you hit a groove later on in the year, but uh, you would like to have seen this been a little bit more comfortable uh, of a victory than it was. Yeah, but at least you're not giving up 60 points like you did last year. Uh, and I, I am looking at their schedule now. They have Minnesota next week at home. That's going to be a tough game. Tough game, yeah. That's going to be a tough game. Uh, I know that we're going to discuss that coming up this Saturday. Then they go up to Pittsburgh, Syracuse at home, Miami at home. That's All of a sudden, that's going to be a great game. Uh, Virginia at Georgia Tech, Campbell, Duke, Clemson, and NC State. So the month of November is going to be very interesting for interesting. North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, Duke at home, of course, the, you you have the, the tobacco road rivalry. Uh, it, we, we talk about those two schools as basketball schools, but now all of a sudden we're going to be looking at the football programs, and, and maybe that's, that game is actually going to be for something because Duke, we saw what they looked like against Clemson week one. Uh, they played uh, – I don't know who they played. They played a smaller team. I think it was a, a Division two school. Might as well have been. I don't even know. Yeah, they played Lafayette. Of, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, there you go. There's your Division two school. But um, it's an FBS opponent. I'll, I'll give them some more respect. I, should, I shouldn't say that. But, look, the month of November is shaping up to be a very interesting one for North Carolina. I hope they get there because last year what we saw from them, Drake May and company, they kind of fall short. I know they have the loss against Georgia Tech. But once they got through the month of October – they didn't really look like the same team anymore. They, they gave Clemson a run for their money, but then after that, it was just not, not really a lot of anything. Um, I want to see what they can do, and I want to see them finish the job this year. Uh, any more thoughts in general on the ACC or North Carolina? No, I mean, like you said, it's just going to be a nice battle uh, between a number of teams, five, six, maybe even seven teams behind Florida State, assuming Florida State can hold where they're at. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting we'll battle to see exactly – who ranks where and, 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 and how things play out in the ACC. But there, you know, we talked for a while. There was Clemson and then where's Florida State and then is there anyone? Uh, I, I think you're seeing that their bottom is still their bottom, right? But yeah. there's a middle tier there that's probably a little bit better than we gave credit for before the season started. Yeah, and that bottom includes a, a Boston College team that damn near lost to Holy Cross on the at home. Bro, I pulled that mm, game on my phone. Kind of brutal. I was ready for, it. I was ready for that, too. Mm, yikes. <laughs> Week two takeaways. Abe Gordon, what you got? A lot of quarterbacks are putting up big-time numbers. And at the end of the day, if you're going to go to New York for the Heisman ceremony, like, is Drake May out of it because he put up an offer? Like, potentially. Like, you got to be having three at a minimum – probably four like Sam Hartman or, or even five touchdown days uh, like yeah. Tyler Van Dyke. I, I, I mean, you've got to put up 350 yards like a number of guy like Quinn Ewers did, like Bo Nix did. I mean, the numbers you have to have this year to win a Heisman are, are going to be crazy. I, I think you're probably going to have four quarterbacks that account for over 50 touchdowns this year. That wouldn't surprise me, it, it, you know, rushing and passing, obviously. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see, you know, and I mean, look, we got a long ways to go. Long way. Yeah. We got a very long interesting way. to see though, how voters start to break down or even how Vegas starts to, um, 
you know, kind of rank these guys and, and put the odds down and, and, and all that stuff. Cause you've just got to put up wild numbers and you have to do it in big games, which is why what Quinn Ewers did do in games where people are watching, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I mean, the PAC 12, my takeaway, the PAC 12 is going to be the most fun college football conference this year. And it's curtain call of the season. It's going to be fun. PAC 12 after dark one last time, one last time, but one other one, I know we talked about this before, and I want to throw this out on the record just because I think it was an interesting point that you had, and I'll give you credit. I'm not going to take it. I don't think anybody in the SEC is running with Georgia. I don't. Uh, I know that Georgia's offense looked a little shaky in the first half. Um, that's probably generous, but then they turn it on, obviously, in the second, and they, they put, a, they put a, a bad Ball State team to bed, uh, and they take care of business, and they do what they're supposed to do against a lesser opponent. And the noise was coming. Okay, well, what are you going to do when Tennessee rolls into town? And then Tennessee does the same thing and kind of lays an egg against yeah. a, a not very good Austin P team. Granted, they're good for their for what they are. Um, and I'm not trying to disrespect that. I'm not trying to throw rocks at all these teams right now. But it's it's just when we're talking about the difference between a Tennessee and an Austin P, you need to be barrel rolling these teams. You need to barrel roll. And Georgia, they started slow, but then they ended up and it was a barrel roll. Tennessee didn't really do that. And that's the only team right now that I'm looking at. And I'm, I say that's a team that might be able to run with Georgia. But I don't know if that's going to be the case. I mean, obviously, we have a long way before the, those two teams tee it up up there in Neyland Stadium in November. But after two weeks of football, Georgia's just so far above everybody else. And it's not for anything that they've done. It's mostly the expectation right. of what they have been because they've played two hapless opponents who they really have no business being on the same football field with. But it's also as much the two the, the competition that they have in the SEC have put up duds. And I know they've played better competition in Texas A&M. You go play Miami. You have LSU who goes and plays Florida State, Alabama and Texas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Credit to them. Credit to them for taking on those kinds of opponents, but they've looked bad in the process. I don't know who's going to run with them right now because Alabama showed if you play a competent defense, that rushing attack just didn't get it done. Texas A&M doesn't have a defense. LSU, maybe you're a little too reliant on a Mason Smith. What happens when the offense doesn't really get everything going? The, well, the defense fell apart, and the secondary is a pretty serious issue for them. Florida, they're not there yet. Tennessee, we'll see if the quarterback can figure it out and if the defense can actually figure things out. I'm not a big believer in Tennessee this year. I think they're a good football team. I think they're a team that can get, that can go in and play for uh, another AP or excuse me, a New Year's Six Bowl. I think that's very much. But as far as a college football playoff, I think that's another level entirely, and that's a level occupied by Georgia and Georgia alone. Well, look, I, I know we'll save a lot of this discussion for Saturday morning because yeah. Georgia's got South Carolina, and I think we'll learn everything that I need to see about Georgia. I'll see this weekend. Yeah. And whether they get off to a slow start or not, but whether whether it, it peaks throughout the game, because I think if you're an SEC fan and you want another national championship, I think Georgia is not only your best hope, but on, your only hope. Yeah, I, I, like you're saying, I don't think any of those teams are going to step up to where they needed to to compete with a Ohio state, a Michigan, a USC, a Florida state, a, a Texas, whoever it may be. Uh, I think you're pretty much left with Georgia and, and that's a Georgia team. We aren't really uh, necessarily sure exactly how good they could be right now. I think we'll, we'll find see. out. We'll find out again. And, and they'll build throughout the year. They'll continue, but um, they, they've got to be a little bit better than they have been early on against South Carolina. And if they are, if they show you that, that they're taking those steps, then then look out for the rest of the year. 
Yeah, it looks like they were kind of sleepwalking first these first two games. Uh, but the talent's there, the coaching's yeah. there. If Mike Bobo's enough, then I think this is going to be a very difficult run for the rest of the SEC right now. And it, and it's not like the rest of the SEC can't make up ground. We have we're through two weeks. We're through two weeks, and I don't want to kind of put the cart before the horse here, but uh, I haven't seen a whole lot from the SEC, and it looks yeah. like the rest of the com- the country is catching up to the Southeastern Conference. Well, that's it for college football overtime. Uh, we're through two weeks. We have a long season to go, and we're really excited to bring you all of the college football commentary that you love and need every single Monday morning right here on YouTube, on Facebook, uh, and on the Odyssey app. So make sure you go download that. For Abe Gordon, I'm Garrett Chapman, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, College Football Overtime. We'll see you again next week.